What is hospitality? Well, it's essentially the loving act of showing kindness to strangers or visitors by receiving them as honored guests and tending to their needs at your own expense. In other words, hospitality is the act of freely sharing the provisions and comforts and even the protection of your home with those who are far away from theirs or away from theirs. To be hospitable, then, is to be welcoming to outsiders. It is to be inclined to receiving as guests those who are outside of your personal circle of family, friends, and acquaintances, and being a kind and generous host to them. As we saw in Romans 12 during our scripture reading, we as followers of Jesus Christ are called to be hospitable. We are, as it said, to seek to show hospitality. Hospitality reflects the righteous and compassionate heart of God. God described himself as as the one who loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. The sojourner is, is one who is traveling through or temporarily residing in a foreign land and is a stranger among the locals and thus at a disadvantage. Well, God cares for those who are at a disadvantage. He cares for those who are displaced and vulnerable, and he graciously provides for them. God loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. The whole earth belongs to him, and he is the ultimate host who kindly and graciously provides and satisfies people's needs. Those who love God then, well, they will reflect the character of God by showing hospitality. Those who truly love God will reflect the character of God by showing hospitality. The practice of hospitality is one of the things that Job rightly pointed to as evidence of his faithfulness in doing what is just and good in God's sight. He testified that he had generously fed all of his guests. And he said, the sojourner has not lodged in the street. I have opened my doors to the traveler. One of the characteristics of the man whom God described as being blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil, was that he regularly practiced hospitality. That was Job. And that was one of the marks of his godliness. He was hospitable. We read of the example of Abraham, the man whom God called his friend. He was faithful to reflect the character of God by being a benevolent host as we read in the account given in Genesis 18. Genesis 18. Why don't you guys turn there in your Bibles? I want you to see this. A significant account and and perhaps the ideal example that's held up regarding hospitality. Genesis chapter 18. And we're going to read verses 1 through 8, which read this. And the Lord appeared to him, to Abraham, 
by the oaks of Mamre as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. He lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. Do you notice that? Three men were standing in front of him. This is what Abraham perceives. Although we, we know if we keep reading in chapter 19, one was the Lord and the other two were angels. But Abraham looks up and sees three men, three travelers. And we read on. When he saw them, what did he do? He ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth and said, O Lord, and again here means it's my Lord, as in master, it's a sign of respect and reverence. O Lord, if, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree while I bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh yourselves. And after that, you may pass on since you have come to your servant. So they said, do as you have said. Now notice what happens. And Abraham went quickly into the tent and said, quick, three seals of fine flour, knead it and make cakes. I've always wanted to try those. And Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf, tender and good, and gave it to a young man who prepared it quickly. Then he took curds and milk and the calf that he had prepared and set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree while they ate. Stood by them, serving them. Now look down at verse 16. And again, we're focusing on his, his hospitality here. We read of what he showed them, three men who had come to him. Of course, in the course of conversation, he's realizing this is the Lord himself who's visiting me again to confirm his promise to me. But then as a great and generous host, verse 16, he concludes that with this. Then the men set out from there and they looked down towards Sodom and Abraham went with them to set them on their way. Abraham, the friend of God, was a hospitable man. Hospitality reflects the righteous and compassionate heart of God. Then, because of this, God commanded his chosen nation, Israel, to be a hospitable people. In his law for them, he called them to be holy as he is holy in Leviticus 19. And later in that same chapter, in his law and his commands for them, he called them to love their, neighbor, their neighbors as themselves, Leviticus 19, 18. And he was referring by their neighbor, not just to their fellow Israelites, though certainly it first applied to them, but he was also referring to the outsiders dwelling in their land. He gave them the following commandment. In the same chapter, after he had called them to love their neighbor as themselves, he said this, when a stranger sojourns with you in your land, you shall not do him wrong. You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you, and you shall love him as yourself. For you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Did God not take care of his people when they were strangers and sojourners? And he's telling them, and so you are to do to others. You are to represent me before the nations. God, God called for them to be a hospitable nation. He said to them, 
still in his law, in the same uh, chapter, by the way, in Leviticus 19, he said to them, when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge, neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. And you shall not strip your vineyard bare, neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your your vineyard. Why? He said, you shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. And what did God save himself? That he loves his sojourner and he gives him food and clothing. God is hospitable and his people are to be hospitable. And what God commanded of his chosen nation, Christ commands of his church. Those who are his people are to glorify him by loving others through the practice of hospitality. Hospitality abounded right when the church began. We see that in Acts chapter 2. Why don't you go ahead and turn there? Acts chapter 2. This is the beginning of the church. And so when we read of when the church was established with the outpouring of the Spirit, when the Lord Jesus Christ sent the Holy Spirit to his disciples and established his church on the day of Pentecost, by the way, Pentecost was this Jewish religious festival that was held at the beginning of the wheat harvest. When the Lord did that, the outpouring of the Spirit, the church has begun. The apostle Peter proclaimed the gospel to Jews who had come to Jerusalem from all over the world. And in Acts chapter 2, verses 9 through 11, you see where they had come from. What does it say? We, we read that they were Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. This is the crowd that Peter preached the gospel to. And after hearing Peter preach the gospel, about 3,000 of these Jews, along with proselytes, believed and were baptized. They became a part of Christ's church. And from that point forward, they, who had come from different parts of the world and had been strangers up until that time, they devoted themselves, as Scripture says, to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship of the church. If you look at verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship of the church. Those who believe the gospel at this point started treating others who believe the gospel as family. Because through faith in Christ, they had been united together by the Spirit as spiritual brothers and sisters. So notice verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Now look at verses 46 and 47. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So what do we see? Christian hospitality supported the growth of the church as the Lord added to its number. The Lord is adding to its number. He is redeeming sinners. 
They are becoming a part of the church, and their hospitality is supporting that growth and fostering their unity. In addition to being a Christ-honoring act of kindness to others, Christian hospitality is, and this is important, it is also a significant vehicle for gospel ministry. It aims to refresh and encourage and provide for the saints, and thus to use the home as a resource for the church in carrying out the Great Commission. Your home is a resource. Christian hospitality has both the care for others and the advancement of the gospel in view. At least it should. One commentator said that the exhortations for the church to be hospitable are not advocating a pleasant social exercise among friends, but the use of one's home to help even people we do not know if that will advance God's cause. Christian hospitality. So how does Christian hospitality serve to advance the gospel? Well, first of all, it is a visible testimony. A visible testimony of what? That all sinners who repent and believe the gospel are equally forgiven and reconciled to God through faith in Jesus, the Christ of Israel, as Lord and Savior. When you have fellow Christians in your home, those who, again, just in the normal scheme of things, you, you normally wouldn't have maybe regular associations. We're very different. A diverse group of people. Naturally, but yet supernaturally, by the unity of the Spirit that we have received because we have come to faith in Christ and he has united us together, we come together. And when we come together in homes and share meals with one another, that is a picture, a testimony that of what God has done in Christ for sinners. All sinners, it shows that God's salvation is, has come to all who believe, and those he redeems are equal in his sight, and we are showing that equality when we practice hospitality. Visible testimony. We see an example of this, or at least the principle here in Galatians 3, verses 26 through 29, which says this, In Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you were baptized... Or for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male and female, or there is no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. Again, those distinctions remain. The point is that they, there is no division. There is no superiority in these different groups. You've all been made one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. In Christ, we've received salvation, and we are all one. We are all equal in his sight. The reality of our salvation, in other words, is clearly displayed, and the gospel is adorned, beautified, when such a diverse group of people are regularly welcoming each other into their homes because they belong to Christ. For that reason... 
So showing hospitality to one another shows that we are truly one redeemed people united under the authority of Christ. It is a visible testimony of the gospel. Number two, Christian hospitality serves to advance the gospel when it supports ministers of the gospel who are working abroad, such as itinerant preachers, evangelists, and missionaries, when they are in need of lodging and provisions, as well as the uplifting kindness and encouragement of fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. That's another way that hospitality advances the gospel, supporting ministers of the gospel who are working abroad. We actually see an example of this in 3 John. John writes of this, commending Gaius, the elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Here's what the Apostle John wrote to him. Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do. This man, he's commending him. It is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are. You see that? Fellow Christians, but they're strangers to him. And yet he's doing all these things for them. It is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testify to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. For they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. So opening your home to show hospitality to those who are laboring to make Christ known makes you a fellow worker for the truth. Number three, Christian hospitality serves to advance the gospel when it provides the space for Christians to gather for instruction, for worship, for prayer, and for encouragement. This could be for a small group of individuals. We do see an example of that even in Scripture in Acts 20. Paul and eight of his traveling companions meet in a Christian's home in Troas. It can be for a small group of individuals indeed, but it also can be for an entire local congregation, if you have the space for that, right? But we see this throughout Scripture. I wanted you to see these examples. The local congregations, house churches, home churches. There are people who were hospitable and supported the church in this way and sought to advance the gospel in this way by opening their home for the church to meet. The church in Ephesus, we read of this and. One of Paul's letters, 1 Corinthians 16, it is written from Ephesus, but we realize that in this statement here, Paul writes this, the churches of Asia send you greetings. Aquila and Prisca, together with the church in their house, send you hearty greetings. So Aquila and Prisca are hosting the church in Ephesus in their house. And then we read in Romans this, Greet Prisca and Aquila. This was written later, after 1 Corinthians. So this is written later, uh, the following year. Greet, greet Prisca and Aquila. Hey, we read about them already, right? They hosted the, house, uh, the church in Ephesus. Well, here's what he says here. Greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the church in their house. So what are they up to? The following year. The church in Rome, there's a church in Rome meeting in their house. 
So they hosted the, church, the house church in Ephesus, and it was also their house later in the next year. They're hosting a church in Rome. And they're clearly being very sacrificial and proactive in ministry, and yet they seek the opportunity to show hospitality to the saints. And they're, they're back in Rome, which actually was the original, where the original home was. And what do they do? They rush to the opportunity to open it up for the church to gather. The church in Corinth, we read in Romans as well, the mention of this. Gaius, uh, it might be a different one, but who is host to me in the whole church greets you. Paul is writing from Corinth. So Gaius is the host of the church in Corinth. We also read in Colossians, likely the, the church in Hierapolis. This is a neighboring town of Colossae and Laodicea. Paul writes, give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. You see, so whether you're a couple, whether you're, whether you're a man, or whether you're a woman, maybe she was a widow, but nonetheless, they are seeking the opportunity. They have a home. And if they have the space for it, they can open it up for the church. And then finally, in Philemon, we see this. Well, Philemon was the host of the church at Colossae. Paul had written to him. He said to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Archibus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house, yours singular. He's talking to Philemon, the church in your house. And also, if we look at verse 22, here's what Paul says to him. Not only was he hosting the church in his house, the church gathering, but then Paul says, hey, at the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I'm hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. Paul is expecting him to open his home, and this is a way that Philemon would also minister to the Apostle Paul for the advancement of the gospel. One writer sums it up this way. In hospitable households, the gospel was preached and propagated. Christian identity was forged and reinforced. And social bonds were established and sustained. How important is hospitality in the church? I think we can see it's it's elevated, it's stressed throughout Scripture, it's stressed throughout the New Testament. By example, we've seen that. Well, here's another thing we can consider. It is a key factor in determining if a man is qualified to be a pastor in the church. 1 Timothy chapter 3, we have a list of the qualifications for an elder, a pastor, an overseer. Here's what it says. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, and it goes on with the qualifications. But notice that hospitality is mentioned before the man's ability to teach if he's aspiring to be a pastor of the church. A highly gifted preacher and teacher is not qualified to be an elder and overseer of the church if he is not also hospitable. We also see a list of qualifications in Titus chapter 1 for the overseer, for the elder, for the pastor. In Titus 1, and I'm going to read leading up to verse 7 here just for context, but Titus says, this is why I left you in Crete, or Paul says to Titus, sorry, uh, this is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. And we see in verse 7 here, for an overseer as God's steward must be above reproach. 
He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but first positive qualification here, hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. Notice again that the man's hospitality is listed as a qualifying factor before his ability to teach. In addition to that, it is listed first among those positive virtues in verse 8. You see, the importance is, is clear. Practicing hospitality, though, is, is not only required of pastors, or those aspiring to be pastors, but is expected of everyone in the church. Here's Christ's commands for us regarding hospitality. We're going to look at them. Go ahead and turn to Romans chapter 12. Again, that, was, that passage was a part of our scripture reading, or was our scripture reading for this morning. But Romans chapter 12, the scripture reading was verses 9 through 13. It's this section, but the command is actually in verse 13. It's in verse 13. And go ahead and look there. We see the command listed among other commands. And the one regarding hospitality says, seek to show hospitality. This is for the church. Seek to show hospitality. The Greek word behind this command is dioko. That's a fun sounding word, right? Say dioko. There, you, you got a Greek word. Here's what it means. It literally means to move rapidly and decisively toward an objective or to run after something. So you can write that, dioko means to run after something. And it is in this command. In this case, what is being said here is the objective we are moving towards and the, the, to be moving towards, the thing we are to run after is the opportunity to show hospitality. A little more literal translation of that command is pursue hospitality. Romans 12, 13, pursue hospitality. Run after it. Meaning, run after the opportunity to show it. Remember when we read Genesis 18, Abraham's example? What did he do? He ran to those men to seek the opportunity to show kindness to them, to welcome them. And he was quick in serving them. In other words... When we see pursue hospitality, we are to be quick and eager to seize opportunities to show hospitality to others. Showing hospitality is something we are to aspire to do, something we are to eagerly pursue. Our demonstration of hospitality should be, therefore, a regular practice, not something that we do sparingly. Again, usually when we think of hospitality, we think, well, you know, on the holidays and uh, special occasions, right? But what we're seeing in Scripture, the example, what's described, but also what, what is commanded is as something not just reserved for special occasions. Well, it is a special occasion, but it's something that's to be regular, a regular practice in the Christian's life. If we also consider the leading command for this section found at the beginning of verse 9, if you see that, what does it say? The leading command, let love be genuine. Literally, without hypocrisy. If we consider that, that is the leading command in this section, verses 9 through 13. We see the implication of that is 
that are seeking to show hospitality ought to be done out of genuine love for others, not merely in order to keep up appearances. It's like, well, I don't want to look bad. I guess I'll live in my home. We're to pursue it, but to, to let our love be genuine in doing it without hypocrisy. Showing hospitality should be done with a, a sincere desire to serve others and to show kindness to them, not seeking anything in return. Next command we'll look at is in Hebrews chapter 13. You can go ahead and turn there, Hebrews chapter 13. And again, I'll have the command up on the screen, but you'll see the passage. There's a couple other things we'll take note of. Hebrews chapter 13, right at the beginning, in verse 2, here's the command. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. A literal translation of the command is simply, do not neglect hospitality, they added to strangers. And we understand it's really, hospitality ultimately is to the outsider, to the stranger. So they supplied that. And also to make a contrast between what was commanded before that. But still, the command is do not neglect hospitality. And here's the thing. If it is not something we're pursuing, as we saw in Romans chapter 12, then it's something we're neglecting. Are you pursuing hospitality? Because if you're not, you're neglecting it. And what do we read in Hebrews 13? Do not neglect show hospitality. Do not neglect hospitality. And as for the next half of the verse, you see that? Well, there's a unique incentive given, isn't it? For thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Well, this could be, likely is, an allusion to the account we previously read in Genesis 18, right? Abraham welcomed and served as guests the Lord and two angels who appeared to him as three men. So unbeknownst to him, at least when he initiated, he's seeking to show hospitality, unaware that he's, he's serving well, the Lord himself and two angels appearing to him in human form. And also, if we kept reading in that account, we kept on and moved on into Genesis 19, we would, we would see the account of uh, Abraham's nephew, Lot, showing hospitality that same evening to the same two angels, still appearing in form as two men. He pressed them to, to spend the night at his place. It was, it was the evening. They were going to stay in the town square. Bad idea. Sodom. Of course, he doesn't know that they're angels. But he pressed them to spend the night at his place rather than in the town square of Sodom. He prepared a feast for them and then later sought to protect them when the wicked Sodomite men surrounded his house. That's true hospitality. Genuine hospitality. And he didn't realize up until later that they were angels that he was tending to. And because of Lot's hospitality, see, the Lord was about to destroy this entire city. But because of Lot's hospitality, he and his two daughters ended up being mercifully spared from God's destruction of that city. You ever thought about that? We know that Abraham intercedes for this city, would the Lord sweep away the entire city if there are 50 righteous people? How about 40? How about 30, 20? How about 10? If there are just 10, would you spare judgment? God said he would, right? But what did he do? He ends up destroying the city because there are not even 10 righteous people there. 
But we read that Lot is spared. Why? Well, he proved and demonstrated righteousness. Again, righteous through faith in God. He did what was right. He showed hospitality, and God had mercy on him. You ever thought what would happen if he didn't show hospitality? He probably would have perished along with the rest of them. So we read in Hebrews 13, Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Now, while this had truly happened before, we just read of those accounts, the point of that statement, the incentive given, is that there may come a time in our showing of hospitality to unfamiliar persons when the kindness ends up having far greater significance than we realize. And we may end up being blessed in great and unexpected ways. We're not, we're not seeking some kind of return or reward. We're, we're freely giving, and yet unexpected and great blessing may come to us, and our kindness may have far greater significance than we realize. That's the point. And then thirdly, turn to 1 Peter chapter 4. This is a, our third and final command that we look at, direct command to the saints, to the church, regarding showing hospitality. And the command is this. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. But first of all, notice that the command is for us to show hospitality to one another. That is, to who? Fellow Christians. This confirms that Christians are included in the category of stranger, we think of love for the stranger, being hospitable. It includes Christians because we don't all know each other, do we? Right? And again, remember when the church began. Yes, there was a crowd of Jews, and they were, but they were from all over the world. They didn't necessarily, they were strangers to one another. They had their Judaism in common, but then they believed the gospel, and all of a sudden they started treating each other as, as family. Kindness to the stranger, the outsider, the one who, who's unfamiliar to us. So we are called to show hospitality to one another, to fellow Christians. And yes, even for those who are not that, or that we've, we've become familiar with, to open our home and show that kindness as well. But we're called to show it to one another. And for example, let's say, if we're thinking of this practically, well, how do, what am I being called to here? Well, here's an opportunity for you. Whenever a new person or a couple or a family starts attending our church or paying us a visit, wherever they're new were. Well, they're strangers until you get to know them, right? Like, who are these outsiders? We have some outsiders among us. We call them visitors. But you are a guest, right? We practice the corporate hospitality, right? We want to be a hospitable church. But that is a key opportunity for any one of us uh, to get to know them, to show kindness to them, to invite them over. One of the ways you can get to know them really well is by having them over to your place for lunch right after service or for dinner to, to make that effort to reach out, to show that kindness to them so that you may get to know them. That's hospitality. Show hospitality to one another. Now notice the qualifying phrase we see in this verse. We are to show hospitality to one another, what? Without grumbling. Do you grumble from time to times? Showing hospitality can at times be very challenging, right? opening your home, having people as guests. Is that usually why it's kind of like we don't see it done often, and, and except for the holidays, fine, we're going to open our homes, we have family coming into town. 
And then even then it's kind of stressful. It can be. What, what is our hospitality supposed to look like? It's to be without grumbling. Of course it's challenging. Of course it requires a lot from you if you're doing it well. But we must not let that rob us of the joy of selflessly serving others in love. You see, if we grumble when showing hospitality, well, and we're not acting in love. And if we're not acting in love, we're not honoring Christ in that. Think about 1 Corinthians 13. You can do all these, these wonderful things, really spiritual things, really great things, but if you're not doing it in love, it's just noise, it's worthless, it's pointless. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. And notice the command that precedes this one in verse 8. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, that is, without wavering, since love covers a multitude of sins. Right? So again, a lot of these commands or exhortations to being hospitable are preceded by exhortations or commands to love. Genuinely love one another. And finally, in this passage, if we, if we look ahead in verse 11, we see that the purpose of all the commands in verses 7 through 10, including the command to show hospitality, is what? Is ultimately in order that in everything, God may be glorified through Christ, through Jesus Christ. That's the, the motivation. That is the goal for showing hospitality among these other things, that in everything God may be glorified through Christ. Showing hospitality to one another, showing hospitality to the outsider, uh, to the person who doesn't know Christ, again, all for the, the adornment of the gospel, the advancement of the gospel, doing that in genuine love, it glorifies God. So if we had to sum it up, what is the purpose of hospitality? If we had a purpose statement for Christian hospitality, here's, what, here's my attempt at coming up with one. It is this. I think I have it. Good. Glorifying God through Jesus Christ by using the home and goods he has given us to extend kindness to people beyond our familiar and mutually beneficial circles for the advancement of the gospel. I know that was kind of long, very Paul-like, right? Um, usually in translations, they split that up in multiple sentences. But again, think about it. The incentive or the, the purpose for you to show hospitality for us as a church corporately, for you individually, as a follower of Christ, a disciple of Christ, is to glorify God through Christ. By practicing hospitality, which is using your home and goods that he has given you, right? You might think, well, I, you know, I earned it. I bought these things, and I've done really well for myself. It's like the Lord has given you the ability to work. He's given you the ability to have what you have. He's provided for you, and you're expected to share. Our hospitable God, our hospitable Lord, has called us to be hospitable with those home and goods he's given us to extend kindness to people. Again, the stranger, let's clarify that. People beyond our familiar and mutually beneficial circles, outsiders, and to do that ultimately in some way for the advancement of the gospel, for the gospel to be in mind. So, of course, we, we read the examples in the Old Testament and even in the New, right? We're re reading things from long ago, and we look at hospitality and the washing of feet. Did you wash anybody's feet lately? You know, we don't, some of the customs might have changed, but the principle is the same, right? Loving kindness, kindness to strangers, to outsiders, service, offering refreshment and encouragement and service. And again, some things haven't changed, right? Sharing a meal together, providing for your guests. But nonetheless, 
Here's what we have to keep in mind. Our hospitality these days may not be as often, uh, or it may not as often be the necessity it was in ancient times. Again, with people traveling far away, if they're coming a few days away or whatever, or they're coming on foot and they got animals with them, right? They need some lodging more often. We don't have that as often now, especially in, in our country, in our modern time. But we still need to see hospitality as an opportunity to demonstrate love of God through kindness and generosity. We still need to pursue it. We still need to seek it. We may practice it less frequently because the opportunities are less frequent, but we should nonetheless be ready for opportunities when they come. The question is, are you ready for opportunities? Are you ready to be hospitable? Have you thought about it? Are you prepared? And are you seeking opportunities when they don't come? Are you actually looking for those opportunities? That's what we're called to do. A final note on preparation. Think through your living space, right? Not all of us have a large enough home to host an entire church, right? But some people have large homes, and haven't we seen that at Summit? Have you seen that at some of our gatherings? Some of our brothers and sisters are opening up their homes to facilitate small groups, even uh, meetings, and sometimes special services if we need to. But also we see people inviting one another over for discipleship in a smaller setting. There are different ways that we can practice and get at this and doing it for the glory of Christ as a church body. And so that's the Lord's command for us. That's his desire for us. May we glorify him in being an hospitable people. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the support and reminder that you are a good and gracious God and, and you have shown us so much kindness in giving us everything that we need, our homes, our goods, and, and, and to be reminded of your graciousness towards all people and that you have called us to be the same way. And hospitality is, is one of the best ways we can do that, to show your kind of love and grace and kindness towards others, people who are outside of our circle of familiarity, people who are strangers, that we would nonetheless seek to go out of our way to show kindness to them by receiving them into our home, sharing what we have, serving them as honored guests. And we pray that we would get at this practice, however we may be able to, that we would do it eagerly and earnestly, that we would do it genuinely in love, that we would seek to do it, of course, within our means as you've given us the opportunity um, but to be faithful in this area as a church, as your people, that you might be glorified and that the gospel may be advanced in the ways that hospitality does that. And Lord Jesus, we thank you for coming into this world and laying down your life and dying for our sins and rising again and, and granting us forgiveness and reconciling us to God so that we may be brought into your home. The kindness we have received from you is undeserved. It is far beyond any kind of kindness we can show to others. May we in some ways glorify you by taking what we have and blessing others in, in, in a small way to reflect the goodness and kindness, undeserved kindness you have blessed us with, with the sacrifice of yourself and the invitation you have given to all of us who believe in you into your home ultimately. You said you've prepared a place for us and that you will bring us to that place in your Father's house where there are many rooms. And what a hope and a comfort we have to know that we will be brought into your home and treated as honored guests and ultimately brought into your kingdom to reign with you 
to be in such a position of honor and glory because of what you've done. We are undeserving. Help us to glorify you by taking the little that we have to honor you and love others. It's in your name we pray. Amen.